All right, well, hey, as you're grabbing your seats, go ahead and grab your Bibles, too, if you have those. If you need one, there should be some on the chairs underneath you or in front of you. And we're going to 1 John chapter 5, or uh, if you're using one of the Bibles from the chairs, page 1375. We've got two messages left in the letter of 1 John that we've been tracking through for the last uh, couple of months or so. And, and John's going to start winding things down, summing things up. And uh, this morning, uh, he's, he's going to get real blunt with some of you. And he's going to get real clear with others of you. And for some, now those two may, may go together. Um, you know, we, 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 most of us have all heard about Jesus from someone. Whether it's you're sitting here on a Sunday morning and you hear me preach about him, or uh, maybe you, uh, you've been in other churches where you've heard about him, and you got a mom who tried to pound it into your head while you were young, and maybe something stuck, something did, or you got a dad who tried to lecture you and give you many sermons at home about him, or um, you've, you've got a grandparent who, who maybe your, your household wasn't one that, that grew up going to church, but your grandparents exposed you uh, to Jesus and you heard about Jesus, and you remember uh, hearing about Jesus from your grandparents, or, or maybe for some of you it was a street preacher, and and that street preacher was proclaiming that you're going to hell, and uh, unless you respond right then and there, and by golly, you didn't want to go to hell, so you responded, you know. Um, whatever the case may be, you, you, you probably heard about him, and maybe you responded favorably to some of those situations by believing in Jesus. Maybe, maybe the, the, the mother's words have stuck, and God used that, and and you responded at an early age. Maybe maybe you remembered them when you got older and you found yourself in a crisis or a low point. And you thought, man, I remember my mom talking about Jesus. And you responded there. Maybe the grandparent, maybe the grandparent's words stuck. Or the, the dad's uh, uh, amazing upon amazing mini lectures and mini sermons at home finally came through. Does anyone else, as dads, give mini sermons and lectures and think it works? Just me. Just me. Well, here I am, boldly standing on my own. I mini-lecture my kids at home. All right. Um, and most of the time, then, as soon as I'm done lecturing and I'm waiting for that response, like, wow, Dad, how did you get such wisdom? Instead, they say, um, can I have a donut? Okay. Um, so, so maybe you responded fairly, but maybe you didn't. Maybe you did not respond favorably, and, and maybe it was the, the mother who just kept trying to pound it in your head. Maybe that turned you off, or maybe the dad's many lectures, God forbid, turned you off. Or maybe that street preacher whose words may have been true, but he was lacking in love, even though his intent was good. Maybe you said, I don't want to have a part of that. And here's the, here's the point this morning. At some point, you have to move past what you've heard from others, and you have to not just respond to what they've said about Jesus but ultimately, you've got to respond to what God has said about Jesus. You see, some of you, maybe you responded favorably to your parents as a child, but at some point, you've got to grow past that, and your faith has to become your own. So, so students, college students, high school students, at some point, when we talk to them, we, we're saying to them, hey, you've got to, to get past just the faith of your parents. And by that, I don't mean that they were believing that they're Christians just because their parents were, but maybe, yes, you genuinely believed as a result of your parents, but at some point, you're going to have to stand on that faith on your own. And, and, and we say to other adults sometimes, hey, sometimes adults have never gone past just, this is what I grew up hearing and I believed in, so I've, I've, I've always believed it. But at some point, you've got you've to investigate what does God say about it, and you've got to stand on that. And, and so to some of you, I'd say, you know what? It may mean you question some things. And I'm not one of those person, people who is scared by that. I, I, don't, I don't care if you start to question 
Christianity or you start to have doubts. That does not scare me as long as you are genuinely seeking truth. Because I believe firmly that God's much bigger than, than any of us. And, and if you start to question some things and you start to have doubts, if you're genuinely on a path towards seeking truth, so a lot of times we think about college students and they've gone off and they're trying to explore other religions, that doesn't bother me so much. You see, there's a time to protect our kids and, and to teach them and to incubate them, but then there's another time where we've got to say, hey, go ahead. Because once you examine your faith and you've tested it, and if you're honest about it, it's going to lead you to God. Because if it's true, it's from God. And if you're honest about seeking truth, then God's going to be the end result there. So I'm okay with that. But here's the other reason why I'm okay with that. Because if you go into life, you're a high school college student, you graduate and you go into college, if you're an adult and you've never examined your faith or at least gone back to the scriptures for yourself to see what does God say about who Jesus is. I remember what my preacher said. I remember what my mom said, my dad said. And maybe you rejected it because of those things. And you might find out I'm rejecting something God never said. Because you're rejecting a version of what someone else came up with. Or maybe you're going to find out, man, I, I've, I've always believed this, but now as I'm seeing it for myself, all of a sudden it gets planted firmer. See, that's, that's where we all need to be. We need to ultimately respond to what is God said about Jesus, not just what someone else has said. And that's where John takes us this morning. See, he's been, this whole letter, he's been saying, here's what we said. Yeah, we've seen and we've eyewitnessed this. We've touched, we've, we've heard Jesus talk. We're telling you the things that we have heard and seen. But now, John, as he's wrapping up his letter, comes and says, but, but let's talk about what God has said. See, it's one thing for us to say something, but let's talk about what God has said. So here's where we're going this morning. Bottom line, real blunt, John's going to tell us there's no life from God without believing in the one who is life from God. When, when John puts out what does God say about Jesus, here's going to be the conclusion. You don't have life unless you believe in the one whom God has sent. There's no life from God unless you believe in the one who is life from God. So let's see how John does that this morning. First, he's going to tell us, hey, God has something to say about Jesus. You, see, you, you may never have even thought about it like that. Maybe you thought, well, my mom has something to say about Jesus. My dad has something to say about Jesus. But maybe, maybe your parent and your teenager came home from a church camp and they had something to say about Jesus. Or, hey, I had a grandparent, whatever the case may be. But I want you to know this morning, and John's going to help us see that God has something to say about Jesus. So let's look at John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. We're going to look at the first part of 6. So that little A in a parenthesis, that means we're looking at the first part of, of verse 6. And he says, Jesus Christ is the one who came by water and blood. Not by the water only, but by the water and blood. Now, and that sounds real cryptic, right? I mean, what in the world is he talking about? And, 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 it's, and it's not as mystical as it sounds. Here's what John's saying. He's, he's combating some false teachers, so keep that in mind. So we always have to know what is John writing, uh, who is he writing to, what's going on in their context, because that's going to help us understand why he says some of the things he says. Some of these teachers that come along, and we can, we can learn from reading John's letter that these people were denying some things about Jesus. Remember, and some of those things that they were denying about Jesus caused the people in the church to start to doubt. Maybe we didn't believe correctly. Maybe we got it wrong. Maybe I really don't have a relationship with God because these guys come along and they said something different. One of the things that we've learned that these people, these teachers were saying is that Jesus really wasn't who he said he was or who John said he was or the apostles said he was. They're saying Jesus really wasn't God. They have some kind of version, other version of who Jesus was. And their version could be something like this. They could be saying, you know what, Jesus was just a man. He's a really good man who found favor with God. 
maybe kind of like Mary, maybe kind of like Noah, maybe kind of like Enoch or Elijah. They found favor with God. But then God chose to use him, and he sent this divine spirit. We might call it the Christ spirit. And that Christ spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism. Right? And then they'd say, and, and that spirit rested upon Jesus the whole time he was ministering here on the earth. But before Jesus died, that spirit left. And John's trying to combat that. And so that's exactly what he's doing out here. He's saying, no, that's not, that's not the case. Jesus was who he said he was. And he says he was from water. He came in water and blood. And so he's starting with the ministry, the public ministry of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus. He's saying, look, God was with Jesus from the time he was baptized to the time he died on the cross, the blood. John's point is there was never a time where God was not with Jesus, where Jesus was not God is how I would say it today. Right? He's saying, hey, from the time that, that Jesus went public, now we know also it was even before that, but, but John's just talking about the time he went public, from the time at the baptism. Now, there was something significant that happened at the baptism. That's why John, John addresses that. And so to, to see that, we're going to look at a few verses where John says in his gospel, John chapter 1, and then we're going to also look at Mark's version of that in Mark chapter 1. And here's what they say about those baptisms. Here's John's words from his previous gospel that he had written. John the Baptist testified, I saw the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. This is Jesus who's in the water. And I did not recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have both seen and testified that this man is the chosen one of God. So that's John's version of what he saw and experienced at the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit coming down like a dove. Here's how Mark puts it. And remember, Mark's version of this is from Peter's eyewitness account. And Mark says this in Mark chapter 1, Now in those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my one dear Son, and you I take great delight. This is what happened at the baptism of Jesus. This is where Jesus' public ministry started. Somewhere in his mid to, to maybe maybe late 30s, depending on how you date that. But he, he's, he's going into the water where John the Baptist has been baptizing. And when he does that, God does something supernatural. God does something unique that, that sets Jesus apart. Spirit comes down like a dove. In the form of a dove rests upon Jesus. The heavens are torn open. Mark tells us he heard a voice. Uh, uh, Peter heard a voice and said, and This is my one dear son, and him I take great delight. Uh, other people say it sounded like thunder. Right? But this is what God did. So you can't deny that something's happening at the baptism. So these false teachers are coming along, and they're not denying something happened at the baptism. And John's saying, Yeah, God was with Jesus from that point, but also not just that point, not just water, but water and the blood, so that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was still fully God. You see, John's point is this. Jesus has always been fully human and fully God, all in one person. There is never a point where Jesus was not fully God or fully human. And that's absolutely necessary to the gospel because he had to be fully human so that he could come and live the life as our representative that we can't live. He had to be able to sympathize with us when he was tempted because later on, one of the uh, New Testament authors says he's able to sympathize with us in every way. He was tempted in every way except without sin. And then he had to be able to die as a sacrifice. He had to be able to die in our place to take our penalty. And, and if he wasn't human, he couldn't die. 
But see, if he was just merely human and he wasn't fully God at the same time, then he wouldn't have been the worthy sacrifice that we needed. He wouldn't have been that lamb that has no spot, has no blemish. He had to be a perfect and worthy and an eternal sacrifice so that when the sacrifice was done, he's able to say it's finished. And there's nothing else that needs to be offered. There's nothing else that needs to be done. It's a once-for-all kind of thing. And so fully God, fully man, all in the same person. This was Jesus. This is who God sent. And John's saying, hey, God was with him the whole time. From the time of the baptism to the time he died on the cross, God never left him. He was never lacking in who he was. And so he says he came in water and the blood. He goes on, though, in the second part of verse 6. And he says, and the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. Verse 7, for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three are in agreement. Let's stop there for a minute. So John's going to go on now, and he says, now, now this is true, that Jesus came in water and blood. He was fully human, fully God the whole time, right? Never a time where he wasn't. And the Spirit testifies to this. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove at the baptism. And John's saying, hey, let's not forget the role of the Spirit of God here. The Spirit of God that if you've trusted in Him, you now have. He testifies to this. And so here's what the Spirit does with Jesus. He, he sent and empowered Jesus. Right? We're, we're told that He was the one that was empowering Jesus during His ministry. Depending on which gospel you read, one of them will say that He was driven by the Spirit into this time of temptation. And so you get a real clear picture that Jesus, even though He's fully God, He was willingly submitting to the power of the Spirit while He was here. So the Spirit was enabling and empowering Jesus' ministry. While he was here, we're told by John in his other gospel that the Spirit is the one who convicts our heart of sin, makes us aware of our need for the gospel. You know, until you're convicted of your sin by the Spirit, you are not aware of your need for the gospel. Where the Spirit is not bringing conviction, there cannot be genuine conversion. There may be an emotional response. There may be some kind of kind of going forward or raising a hand or checking a box or whatever the case. There may be a prayer prayed. But unless the Spirit has come upon you to convict you of your sin and your need for a Savior, there can be no genuine conversion. And then when the Spirit convicts you, the Spirit is the one who enables us to understand the truth of God and the gospel. Uh, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, where it's a story of Lydia, this Gentile woman who is a, a businesswoman, just working moms, by the way, throw that out there, study her. Okay? And, and here she goes, and she's down at the river, and she's, she's dying her stuff, and Paul comes along, and he shares the gospel with her. And in verse 14, it says, And the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. You see, if the Spirit wasn't involved in helping us to understand what God has done and says to the gospel, we could not believe. We have to have the Spirit helping us. And so Paul, uh, John is saying the Spirit is the one who testifies. He's the one who comes and helps us to understand the things of God, points us to the things of God, enables us to believe the things of God. And then John's going to go on and say and, and continues to confirm the things of God. You see, apart from the ministry of the Spirit, we would not understand the things of God. And John says the Spirit testifies. He testified during the life of Jesus, and now he testifies about the life of Jesus he goes on and he says, verse 7, for there are three that testify. Now, in Jewish tradition, if you read through the Old Testament, you're going to find that you couldn't bring a charge against someone in a court unless you had at least two or three witnesses. Right? You couldn't have one person come along and make an accusation and it stand up in court. You had to have at least two or three, and they had to agree. 
And this is what John's doing. He's saying, hey, here's God's testimony. Here's his witnesses, the spirit. But then, then he's going to personify the baptism and the death. And he says, and the water and the blood. These three testify to Jesus. They, they are what God, this is what God says about Jesus. They point to that, the fact that Jesus was who he says he was, and he came to do what he said he's going to do, and he accomplished what he said he's going to accomplish. The Spirit testifies by the baptism, by the ministry that he carries on now, through conviction, through conversion, through helping us to understand the things of God, and the blood. He says, and Jesus' death testifies. These three things, and he says, and they all agree. If we were in a court and we were putting God on trial and we were to say, hey, who do you have to defend you? These three would go up and they'd say, yes, this is what, what I say about Jesus. Yes, this is what I've seen. Yes, this is what I know to be true. And they would all three be saying the same thing. They would stand up in court. And this is what John's saying. He said, this is what God says about Jesus. He was who he said he was. God was with him the whole time. And then God confirmed his mission. That Jesus came to do what he said he's going to do. The Spirit confirms his mission, the water, the baptism confirms the mission, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. And then he goes further and he says, And if we accept the testimony of men, if I accept what John the Baptist has said, if I accept what the Apostle John has said, if you accept what your mom has said, what your pastor has said, what your grandparents have said, if you accept what that camp speaker said, or, or that person that was speaking at the revival, or even that street preacher, if that's how God used it, if you accept that, John says, then the testimony of God is even greater. You, you've got to go further. It's not that you didn't genuinely believe, but you've got, to, you've got to investigate this for yourself. Because if that's what they say, you need to go back and say, what does God say? And if you accept theirs, and you're willing to accept theirs, then God's testimony and what He has to say about Jesus is even greater. It's, it's, this, it's this idea of, hey, if you're willing to accept something from someone lesser, then you should accept what someone says who's greater. Uh, an argument from lesser to greater. And if I'm going to be willing to accept what the pastor says, who's not God who's not perfect, in case you were under any illusion. None of you are. My wife and my kids certainly are not. But if you're willing to accept someone who stands up on a stage and preaches the Bible, if you're willing to accept the word of maybe that grandma or grandpa who you just held up on a pedestal, as good as they might have been, if you're willing to accept the words of your parents, your grandparents, whoever, then you should be willing to accept what God says. And if you go further and continue to investigate that, then the only result is going to be that it gets solidified even deeper. And if you've rejected what they've said, maybe you're rejecting a version of something that's not even in the Bible. Which means, hey, I need to go and see what God has actually said. Because if I'm going to reject Christianity, I need to make sure I'm rejecting what God has said about Jesus. Not what someone else has said about Jesus. You know, most people walk away from the church, and they walk away from a version of Christianity that's not even in the Bible. But they've never investigated themselves. They walk away from what someone else has said about Jesus or what someone else has modeled about Jesus. See, maybe they walk away and they say, you know what? Jesus is just that person that my parents used to get me to behave right. Jesus will be disappointed if you don't obey your parents. Right? Maybe, maybe you walked away from that, but guess what? God didn't send Jesus to make you obey. And maybe, maybe you walked away from, from, from a version of Christianity where, where God was just always trying to catch you doing wrong. He wasn't interested in anything else but just making you behave rightly. And you walked away from that. You said, I have, no, I have no interest in that. Maybe, maybe you walked away from some other version of Christianity. But maybe you've never gone to where God has revealed what he has said about Jesus and investigated, what does God say about this? And so you've rejected a version of Christianity. But man, maybe if you read what God actually says, you're going to go, man, that I can get behind. But I can't get behind someone else's version of it. But maybe I can get behind that. You see, 
if you don't go that far, if you don't go and investigate what has God said about Jesus, then, then you, you might have a genuine faith, but that faith may not be able to stand the pressure when pressure comes. And a lot of Christians stay in that spot where they believe that, man, it's a genuine belief and a genuine conversion, but they've never progressed past that. They've never investigated that faith, maybe as a high school or college student, has never become their own. And all it takes is someone to just throw something in there that expands their rubber band of a mind that has never been stretched, and it just snaps. And they can't stand up under the pressure. But guess what? God can stand up under the pressure. For me, this was... I distinctly remember how this how this happened for me. It was eighth grade for me. I had just gotten out of a, a relationship with a girl that needed to be ended. And for some reason, I felt God was leading me that direction. Now, I, I would tell you at that point, I was probably already saved. I'd gone forward to the camp. I believed. Looking back now, maybe I wasn't. Maybe I was. But somewhere right around eighth grade, I just knew, i got to get out of this relationship. This is, this is not what God wants me to be doing here. Got out of it. And as a result of getting out of that relationship, I started to read the Bible on my own. First time I'd ever done that. See, I had a Bible since I was in third grade because I grew up in a denomination that confirms you. And, and then they give you your own version of the Bible. But I never read it. And then all of a sudden I got this new Bible. It was a, one of those study Bibles. It was the NIV study Bible. And it was the one, I've seen it around here before. It was the one that had like the, the, desert, um, the desert sand on it. I can't remember the name of it now. But I remember NIV study Bible version. And I just started reading that on my own. Eighth grade. And all of a sudden I, I distinctly remember that's when growth started for me. That's when all of a sudden I started to, to, to learn things about God. And, and I remember my, my life taking a different path. Perfect? No. Still make mistakes? Yes. Still make bad decisions willingly? Yes. But I started to make a, make a, make a different direction. And then that led into high school. And, and high school, I remember getting in, even though I was at this church that I never heard the gospel at, but they did have this pretty good in-depth Bible study. And I got involved in that. It was designed for adults, but here I was, a sophomore in high school, and I got involved in that. And it started taking me deeper. And I started studying the scriptures even deeper. And God started to use that. And he started to grow and shape some things. And then I remember I hit college. And I remember getting in college at Houston Baptist University. And they gave all the freshmen this, this uh, copy of the Bible, New Living Translation. I'd never heard of that before. And, and I started reading this. And I remember thinking, wow, it's just coming to life all over again in new different ways. Like I'm reading stuff and it makes sense. And so, so some of you, I'd say this. Maybe you've never read the Bible under own. Maybe because the version of the Bible you have is that family Bible that you've always had sitting on a table. And in order to pick it up and read it, you have to go. And then when you would open it up, you'd go these and thou's and you're like, I can't get through that. So put it back down. And I'd say get a translation that works for you. Take the Bible from the chair here in front of you or underneath you if it works for you. Get a version of the Bible that makes sense because what is the point of trying to read something that you can't read? That's not the point. God's spoken languages and revealed things in languages. And the whole point of language is so that we can communicate. And so if a language becomes an obstacle and you're not being able to receive the communication, then get something that works. And so New Living Translation is one of the ones that God used for me. And I would endorse that. I know a lot of you have that. It's a good uh, translation that's written at a ninth grade reading level. That's not to say anything about your IQs, by the way. That's just to say it flows so easily. You don't have to think about what do you mean by this word. And God used that for me to start bringing some excitement about, wow, I can understand what God's saying. And man, I never understood this before. I remember hitting college that same year, freshman year, and I started teaching for the first time. Because, again, God had used that translation. So I turned right back around before I had left this church I had gone up in, and I started teaching the youth the Bible study. I went through First John. It's the first book I ever taught them. I knew nothing. But I was going through it anyway. God was using that to shape and to grow me. And then he continued to do that steps. Maybe you've never done that. 
Maybe you've never actually read and investigated for yourself what God has said about Jesus. And it's time to do that. Maybe you've been rejecting God and you've been rejecting Jesus, but if you have not read what he's revealed about Jesus, what he said about Jesus, it's time for you to do that. And then if you decide to reject him, then at least you're rejecting what God has said, not what someone else has said. And if you've responded favorably and you've accepted Jesus, it's time for you to read that. College students, a high school students, it's time for you to read that so that your faith will go deeper. So that when you get away from your parents, you're standing on something that you've tested, something that you've investigated, something that's been examined. See, John says, God has something to say about Jesus. And if God has something to say about Jesus, I need to listen. I need to know. And then I need to respond. And so he says, if you're willing to believe the testimony of people and the testimony of God is even greater. Because this is the testimony of God that he has testified concerning his son. And we go on and we read verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony himself. So not only if, if you start to investigate, John's saying, hey, if, if you believe what God has said about Jesus, then God is going to confirm that belief in you. The Spirit is not going to just leave you dangling so that, that you're wondering and you're doubting if you're struggling with doubt. God, what did you say about Jesus? God, who is He? What did you say about how do I get in a relationship with you? And one of the things that the Spirit does for us is He confirms our belief. He reassures us. And that's the whole point of John's letter. It's to reassure the people that he's writing to. You belong to God. I know you. You've believed in Jesus. Here's who he is. Hey, look for some of these evidences in your life because if you do belong to God, this is what you will see in your life. And if you don't, this is what you'll see in your life. And now he's writing it. He's wrapping it up and he's saying, hey, don't forget the Spirit reassures you of your belief. If you've placed your trust in Christ and God's given you a spirit, that spirit never leaves you. And so there might be times where, where you find yourself going, man, I, I, I don't know about this. Maybe a college professor said something. Maybe someone at your, your work who's a real deep thinker says something that you've never thought about before. And it throws you into a tailspin. And you're going, man, I, I've never thought about that before. And I'm not sure how to incorporate that into my understanding of what, what I know about God. Don't discount the spirit. The spirit has been given to you also to confirm your belief, to reassure you that I belong to God. The way Paul would say it is the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. It reminds you of your relationship as a child of God to your Father. He says that the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. So if you don't believe God, so you've finally gone, you've investigated what God has to say, and then you reject that, basically you're saying, God, what you've said is not true. You're saying, God, you've perjured yourself. You've lied in a court of law. John says that's what, that's what it is to reject God, is to call him a liar, because you've not believed in the testimony that God has testified concerning his son. And look, it's one thing to call your grandparent, your mother, your father, your pastor a liar. But it's even a greater thing to have investigated and say, God, no, I don't believe that. That's a stronger rejection. So the person who believes, God says, God's testimony is within you. The Spirit confirms that. You don't believe and just know, you're not just rejecting one, one option, one pathway to God. You're rejecting God. Blunt. You're rejecting God. You're calling Him a liar. God, what you said about Jesus is not true. God, what you said about me is not true. Sinner? No, not me. I'm not perfect, but I'm better than that person over there. God, I don't need someone to die for me. I can make this happen on my own. You're rejecting what God has said about you, about Jesus. And you call him a liar. That's what John says. That's the bottom line. Remember, this is John's style. Either or. 
Then we go on, and after John has said, hey, God has something to say to you about uh, Jesus, he then says, God has something to give to you through Jesus. So verse 11 and 12, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has this eternal life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have this eternal life. Bottom line, real simple, real, real straightforward and clear. This is God's testimony. Here's what he said about God. Uh, here's what he said about Jesus. And now he wants to give us something through Jesus. What he wants to give us is life, eternal life. And you either get that by being in the Son, or you believe in him, or you don't have it at all. Now, John has thrown life out. And John, for, for John, eternal life is a big theme in all of his letters. And here's what John means when he says eternal life. If you were to just go and, and, and if you had a concordance, or if you were to take some Bible software, or you were to go to BibleGateway.com, or BlueLetterBible.org, or any of those Bible uh, study softwares or online websites, and you were to just type in life, and then narrow it down to John's writings, here's the things you would find that John says about life. Life is something that God gives. Can't earn it. Can't take it. It's something he gives. And it's something that he alone has the authority to give. See, because he's not talking about just physical life. He's talking about spiritual life. It's something that God gives. You'll find it's found in a person. God has something to say about Jesus. This eternal life comes from him. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. It's found in a person you can't find anywhere else apart from Jesus. See, this is what John's been saying. There's no life, there's no relationship to God apart from Jesus. It's found in a person. It's something that you can have now. And it impacts the way you live now. It's not just something that, you know, oh, trust in Jesus and you get to go to heaven. Man, that cheapens what God has for us. Is that true? Yes, but that's such a small speck of it. And so many of us, that's all we think is, oh, I have eternal life, which means I get to be with God one day. No, no. Eternal life means I get to be with God now. I get to have a relationship with Him now. And I get to live in that life now. John emphasizes that through his writings, that the life that he gives is not just something that you get to participate in later. It's something that he gives now. In fact, he'd say, hey, man, Jesus came so that you would have life, and you would have it abundantly. God never intended you to go through life in a relationship with him and be sour, sapped of all joy, just burdened. It doesn't mean your life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're not going to experience trials. It doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. But God intends that the life we have in Jesus impacts the way we live now. And it also impacts where we live later. We go on and we see that, that John says life, this life that God offers, it satisfies. See, we all chase something. We're all chasing after something to fill this emptiness, to fill this void, to fill whatever it is we're lacking. We're chasing after something. But that something, that void that's there, it was designed by God for the life that he gives. It was designed for God to fill. But we're going to chase after other things. We're going to chase after relationships. And, you know, one guy's not going to fulfill it, so we're going to go to the next guy. Or one girl's not going to fill it, so we're going to go to the next girl. And we're just going to progress on, hoping that we're going to find that right person who's going to fill that void. And they never will. And it's an unfair expectation placed on a husband or a wife. Can't do it. I'm not saying you shouldn't get married. I'm just saying don't expect your husband or your wife to fill what only God can fill. They can't do it, and you'll constantly be disappointed. God gives life, and it satisfies your deepest longings, your deepest desires. That's the kind of life that God gives. And so John says that life, it's found in the Son. And if you don't have the Son, if you've not believed in Jesus, you don't have the life. Bottom line, he's wrapping up his letter. You're in Jesus, you have life. If you're not, you don't have it. 
The one who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. Jeff, you can go and come up. So here's where it leaves us this morning. Bottom line that John says is there's no life from God without believing in the one who is life from God, Jesus. God is the one who has the authority to give life. Some of you this morning, this is what you need to hear. You've been chasing after something. You've been trying to fill that void with something. You've been going from relationship to relationship, job to job, chasing after success or your version of success or money or whatever. Or maybe you're living your life through your kids, hoping your kids will help redeem you somehow because maybe they're going to do something you always wish you could do or whatever the case may be. And you're constantly finding yourself running up against the wall. Disappointed. Because none of them were designed or intended to fill the void that you're trying to fill. God alone is the one who fills that. And He gives that life when we respond to Jesus. So some of you this morning, that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to go back and assess what has God said about Jesus. Maybe I've been rejecting God all this while, and I've been rejecting some version of it. Jesus never came so that He could be used as a parental manipulation tool to get you to obey. That cheapens what God did through Christ. Because Jesus didn't come to make you obey. He came to give you life. And when you get life, you get the Spirit. And when you have the Spirit, God then helps you to obey. But it's not so that you can earn acceptance. We saw last week. It's a response to what God has already done. And obedience as a response to what God has already done is freedom. It's not a burden. So some of you this morning, that's what you need to know. And maybe, maybe you, you've been searching for, for happiness and joy and, and, and you've just, whatever it is that you're looking for. And you don't know that God can provide that. And He does. That life was meant to not just give you, you know, a, a secure place in heaven, but it changes who you are now. God takes you from being what He says in the Scripture, spiritually dead before Him. Sin has impacted and infected every single one of us so that we can't earn anything before God. Apart from God helping us, we can't respond to Him. But God helps us, helps us to understand. He, he confirms the testimony about His Son. And maybe that's what He's doing for you this morning, reminding you, hoping, helping you to see maybe for the first time that He sent Christ, Jesus, to live the life that you're trying to live, but you're constantly failing at. Jesus did it. You don't have to. And He did it in your place. And then He died taking the penalty that you and I deserved. Now we, in fact, earned so that we wouldn't have to take it. And then He rose from the dead, overcoming sin, overcoming death, to a new type of spiritual life, this eternal life that now God offers to you, but only through His Son. No other way. And then when you get this kind of life, it satisfies on a deepest level. Others of you this morning, you've, uh, you've trusted in Christ, you've got a relationship with God, but maybe you need to go back and say, one, have I examined that? Have I, have I stepped down and read what God has to say for Himself? Or am I settling for uh, just the second-hand experience? I'm just living my relationship with God through my pastor's relationship with God. Or through my, through my parents' relationship with God. Or through my grandparents. God's calling you out. And He's saying, hey, I need you to step out. I want you to test and see. I'm not afraid of that. Test me and see what I've said. Question me because you're not going to understand it all. And some of those things he's going to give answers to, and some of them he's not. And there's going to be times where you're going to, you're going to be examining the things that God says, and it's going to rub up against it, and it's going to be a tension, and you're going, how can that be true? And there's going to be times where you're going to have to be okay with saying, I can't resolve the tension between what I understand and who God is. Because the moment I try to resolve that, I lessen God. 
I need to be okay with God being bigger than me, higher than me. So some of you need to step out and examine your faith. Read the Bible for yourself. Get on a plan of some kind. Get an accountability person who says, hey, let's do this together, and then let's meet. Some of you have done that. Some of you need to step out and find some people to say, hey, would you be willing to meet with me, and let's study this book together. Let, let's just read together. I don't have all the answers. I, I, may, I may not have every answer to your question, but let's just meet. Let's go grab coffee once a week, once a month, whatever, and we've read this chapter, and we're going to talk about it. Some of you need to do that so that you can bring other people along and help them to stand. And then maybe for others of you this morning, maybe for you it's, I need to examine, hey, if someone were to look at my life, and I'm claiming to know God, and I'm claiming to be in a relationship with Him, but then they go and they read that, I read about God, and they read about what it looks like to have a relationship with Him, would they see that as true in my life? Would, would they see someone who's filled with joy? Would they see someone who, who's not swayed by the world? Would they see someone who reflects God's character? Because Christianity is not supposed to be joyless. In fact, hey, the, the psalmist says about God, hey, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Christian life is not meant to be sour. It's not easy. It's not without suffering. But some of you need to look at it and go, man, do I, do I have joy? Or am I just trying to manufacture that? Because if I'm trying to manufacture that, something broke. So wherever you're at this morning, let's go before the Lord and ask Him to meet us where we're at. God, thanks for not leaving us lost in our sin, dead in our trespasses. You would have been totally justified to do that. No one could accuse you because we would have just been getting what we deserve. And yet, God, because you're good, because you're loving, because you're gracious, you want to give us more than what we deserve. You want to give us what we did not earn. You don't do it cheaply. You do it at great cost because you're also just. And sin can't be swept under the rug. And you didn't do that. Instead, you dealt with it. Which means I don't have to suffer the penalty of my sin. God, none, none of us have to suffer that penalty of our sin if we will trust in Christ. And you took it for us. So God, meet each one of us where we're at this morning. Opening hearts to respond to that truth about Christ for the first time. Receiving life. Reviving others who maybe have been apathetic or dead. Stirring up heart and affections for you, God. Lighting a fire. Relighting that pilot light. Keeping it burning. Father, do what only you can do, which is change hearts. In this moment we'll dismiss, and if you would like further prayer on something, God's stirring something up, there'll be some folks right here in the back by that lamp and the communion table. Just make your way back there and let them know, hey, I want to I pray about this. Hey, I just responded to Christ by trusting in Jesus. What's next? Or, hey, I... Um, I'd like to know more about that. Those people are there for you, for prayer. They're not there to have conversations with folks after the service. They're there for you. So make your way back there. And they'll be glad to pray with you. And so now, Father, would you go with us? Let your spirit confirm our belief, guide our steps, all for the sake of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With that, we'll see you next week. You're dismissed.